0: So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite tv shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed we
2: analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens
1: as a reminder freudian scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed the content and clips in today's episode will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes.
2: There will be references to suicide in today's episode, which may be a difficult topic for some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling with or at risk for suicidal ideation, you can get help by calling the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24-7 and in English and Spanish. And the number is 1-800-273-8255, and we'll have this and other additional resources on our website.
1: Hello and welcome. Today, we are putting a new movie on our couch that was runner-up in our last social media poll. So, while Mean Girls was first and seemed to be very near and dear to a lot of our listeners' hearts, this movie was a close second and is also about teens. So, as promised, we are finally covering Perks of Being a Wallflower today.
0: You know, they say if you make one friend on your first day, you're doing okay my English teacher is the only friend I make today that would be sort of depressing so Charlie this is what fun looks like
2: welcome to the island of Misfit Toys
0: do you like football? love it be aggressive passive aggressive do you think if people knew how crazy you really were no one would ever talk to you
2: come on go be psychos together. Why do I and everyone I love pick people who treat us like we're nothing?
0: We accept the love we think we deserve. You see things and you understand. You're a wallflower. I didn't think anyone noticed me.
1: Perks of Being a Wallflower is a 2012 film adapted from the novel of the same name by Stephen Chbosky. Interestingly, the author actually also directed the film, which is pretty cool and I think pretty unique to this movie. Um, So the movie follows Charlie, who is played by Logan Lehrman, following a difficult summer as he begins high school and navigates social relationships. He befriends Sam, played by Emma Watson, and her stepbrother Patrick, played by Ezra Miller, who both help Charlie enjoy his freshman year and discover the joys of friendship. However, as his new friends prepare to leave for college, he struggles to adjust and cope with all of the changes.
2: I'm really excited we're covering this movie today. I feel like it's one of those where I've seen it, but it's been a while and I haven't looked at it through the psychology lens as we'll talk about it today. So it was kind of fun to go back and watch it. And I hope it is fun for our listeners
1: as well to kind of think about the mental health aspects of the movie. Definitely. I agree. I remember seeing it a couple of times um, and I believe I've actually read the novel, but it's been a really long time. But watching the movie made me want to go back and reread the book. So I might do that.
2: So let's start by talking about Charlie. I mean, he's the main character of the novel and obviously of the movie as well. We're introduced to him as he's writing a letter to a friend. And we never actually learn, I don't even think in the book either, who this friend is. But it is kind of this um, narrative technique used to help us kind of get an insight into Charlie's mind and what he's thinking.
1: Definitely, and when Charlie is talking to the friend that he's writing the letter to, he's kind of talking about the difficult summer that he has had. He alludes to being in the hospital.
0: Like, if you met me, you wouldn't think i was the weird kid who spent time in the hospital
1: um and he's kind of expressing a lot of fear about having to go back to school be around other like kids his age um and expresses thinking like they're gonna think he's weird and that he's not gonna really fit in so he's having a lot of anticipatory anxiety um, about having to return kind of to socialization and school after everything that he's been through
2: Mm-hmm. And we learn a few more things about Charlie. He's taking medication. We see mom ask him mm-hmm. if he's seeing things again. He mentions feeling happy and sad. He seems to be kind of lonely and kind of nervous about entering this, entering back into school, like Dr. Sam mentioned. Um, and we really get this picture of this kid who has gone through some things that we're not, we're not 100% clear on yet, um, but that we're going to learn more of as we go through the movie.
1: So the picture of Charlie will definitely become clearer as we talk about the movie and just Charlie's experiences. We did want to start off, you know, as Dr. Fran mentioned, he does talk about feeling happy and sad at the same time. He's expressing a lot of anxiety about going back to school, and he says he feels lonely. So we want to just start off talking about teenage mental health kind of generally, and we think this will kind of set it up nicely um, for what we see Charlie and even some of his friends uh, going through at this time.
2: Yeah, and part of why we wanted to cover some of this just right up front is that, you know, I would make the argument that this really is a movie about teenage mental health. Like that's kind of after rewatching it from this lens, that's really (laughs) what my takeaway of it is. Um, And it makes sense because actually what we know is that about 20% of adolescents can experience a mental health problem in any given year. So that's quite a high percentage. Um, And that 50% of mental health problems are established by the age of 14 um, and 75% by the age of 24. So for individuals who in adulthood have some kind of psychological diagnosis, we're really likely to see some of that start. To emerge in these teenage, you know, formative years and young adulthood, like we do with some of the characters in the film.
1: And I think it's also interesting to note that between the ages of 5 and 16 years old, um, there are 10% of those children and young people who have a significant issue that would be clinically diagnosable as a mental health problem. Um, And then even more striking, 70% of children and adolescents who experience mental health problems have not had appropriate interventions or treatment at a sufficiently early early age. So this is saying that, you know, 70% of these kids may have difficulty or issues that are going untreated or when they do get treatment, they've been really struggling with this for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm. And we might have seen that that was particularly the case when the film takes place. So we're seeing more and more you know, attention and Um, You know, part of our goal in this podcast is to break some of the stigma around mental health. So we are seeing this get better. But, you know, especially back when this movie or the book was written and when the movie takes place in like the 80s, 90s, that was even more uh, difficult for individuals to like talk about mental health concerns and get treatment for that.
1: And I think we'll talk about this more as we go through the characters, but we do see that Charlie and his friends have all had maybe different struggles or different events that have happened or different things that they're um, struggling to cope with. Um, We do not hear about really any mental health treatment um, until later on in the movie, any of these characters um so i think that that like is a really important thing to note it does seem like they talk to each other about their kind of concerns and what's going on which is you know can be helpful to some extent um but really nothing formal or, you know, nothing that has seemed to be very effective for any of them.
2: Mm-hmm. And something interesting when we think about mental health for, like, the high school age, which is the primary group that we see portrayed in the movie, um, high school students who have symptoms of depression in particular are more than twice as likely than other peers to drop out of high school. So we're seeing not only that these could be things that impact just their daily lives and their quality of life, but their impact on, like, school and kind of future trajectories. Um, and there are maybe some characters we can see this potentially like on a trajectory on a trajectory for this playing out for some characters in the movie.
1: And then we do want to note, as it is a theme that comes up in the movie, um, as Dr. Fran mentioned, we will be talking about suicidal ideation today and suicide. And it is important to mention that suicide is among one of the leading causes of death in adolescence between the ages of 15 and 19. And along with that, about 12% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 25 experience serious thoughts of suicide a year. And about 19% of high school students are experiencing those types of thoughts as well. So this is something with teenagers and young adults, if they're having depressive symptoms, if they're having a hard time, there is a chance that they might also experience serious thoughts of suicide, which is really important to know, to be aware of. And also, even more importantly, why these young people should be getting treatment to make sure that they can stay safe and feel supported. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
2: And another important uh, group to mention here, just when we think about within the context of high school students, up to 47% of lesbian, gay and bisexual high school students also report serious thoughts of suicide. We covered this a little bit in our sex education episode. So I definitely encourage you if you're interested in um, that topic to go check that episode out. We won't talk much about it here, but just another kind of plug for a really important area um, of people to know about and kind of be paying attention to.
1: Yes, very important. And Sex Education is coming out with Season 3 soon, so we might be covering it again and getting into additional topics. So, um... Be on the lookout for that once it releases. But now let's kind of get back to Charlie and dig in a little bit about his specific kind of mental health and how he's doing. Um, So we mentioned initially how he does express feeling very lonely. Um, And this is all kind of before he gets to high school. But we see once school starts, he does, in fact, have trouble fitting in. Um, He seems very socially isolated from his peers. um, And he's having a lot of internal monologue about his old friends have ditched him. Nobody wants to sit with him at lunch, and people really seem to avoid him. They're not saying hi to him, and he's just kind of cast aside, he feels.
0: When my sister said no, I thought maybe my old friend Susan would want to have lunch with me. In middle school, Susan was very fun to be around, but now she doesn't like to say hi to me anymore. And then there's Brad Hayes. Before my older brother went to play football for Penn State, he and Brad played together. So I thought maybe he'd say hi to me. But Brad's a senior and I'm me. So who am I kidding?
2: We get that kind of classic um, scene of him sitting in the lunch, the, sitting in the cafeteria by himself, eating lunch. And I was like, oh, is he going to go to the bathroom like Katie Heron and have his lunch <laughs> there? Because um, that's just such a classic scene we see in these type of movies. Yes. And I think it's reflective of kind of how he's feeling and how he's kind of managing starting high school.
1: And I think also, interestingly, like as you're watching this movie, you know, he seems to be from the start, like a kid who's having some sadness and he wants to fit in. He wants to engage with his peers and classmates. So you're left kind of wondering, at least I know I was initially, like, why are people like avoiding him and why do they seem afraid of him? And why does he seem like they, you know, don't want to say hi to him anymore? Um, We learn a little bit more about that, which I think makes the situation even more um, sad um, and upsetting for Charlie um but he does seem to have had a lot he does seem to have experienced a lot of loss and is really just kind of trying to float by by himself at this point
2: yeah and one important loss we learn about pretty early on is his aunt helen um and we see a lot of we learn a lot of like little tidbits about their relationship he has kind of either like memories or flashbacks to you know some positive times in their relationship um you know different uh, like holiday events and just like positive times he's had with her. And then there's also kind of these undertones of like feeling sad that she has passed away or like knowing kind of like her history of potentially being in abusive relationships and kind of all these pieces going together. But all of his flashbacks are when he's pretty young. So it seems as if she has died in this car accident when he's, you know, at a pretty young age. It's not a recent death, but he's still, you know,
1: really thinking about it and still dealing with it. And while he's going through this difficult time, he'll make comments about his aunt being um, the only person who really would uh, be able to understand him. So early on in the movie, he makes a comment about how he feels both happy and sad at the same time, and he can't really share with anyone how he's feeling because he doesn't think they'll get it and he mentions that aunt helen would be able to understand those feelings he also makes um comments about his aunt being his favorite person um in the world and kind of missing her like while he's having um this hard time
0: if my aunt helen were still here i could talk to her and i know she would understand how i'm both happy and sad and i'm still trying to figure out how that could be
2: Yeah. So we see that there's this isolated kid. He has had at least one, if not two, major losses that we learn about throughout the movie. Um, And, you know, really the only relationship, positive relationship that he develops early on is with his English teacher, which I love that this is
1: Paul Rudd, um,
2: Mr. Anderson.
1: Love Paul Rudd. I also love Paul Rudd, and you know, Paul Rudd very early on notices I actually really like this scene, he's like kind of walking around the classroom asking questions Um, everyone wants to be like cool, so no one's answering the questions, and or they haven't done the homework and they don't know the answers to the questions, Um, and Charlie keeps writing down the answers in his notebook, and so Mr. Anderson will walk by sees that Charlie's getting the correct answers Um, so after class, he makes a comment like, hey, like you should really participate, like why aren't you um, joining in, I see that you like are having having the answer is they have a really nice nice chat together. Um and I think Charlie kind of expresses like, you know, it hasn't been the best of days. And he says, like, well hey I'm a friend and, you know, at least you made one friend today. And Charlie says, well, if my English teacher is my only friend, that's sort of depressing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I like that scene too. And I especially like their relationship because I think it highlights what teachers can do to be the ones that are paying attention and keeping an eye out for students that might be at risk because they've experienced really difficult situations or they've had thoughts of, you know, wanting to harm themselves that, like, a teachers can play such a huge role because they're the ones that can potentially see that, like, this student is maybe be struggling or responding differently or not really fitting in with other students. So I really appreciate that that's portrayed in this movie of having like that positive um, person in his life who's looking out for him.
1: It is really nice. It definitely seems like Mr. Anderson's kind of keeping an eye on him. He expresses that he knows, like, that Charlie has been through a tough time lately. Um, and they really bond over writing. So um, Charlie looks up to Mr. Anderson as a writer, and Mr. Anderson's kind of guiding him with giving him, like, extra novels to read. And there he's writing different things that Mr. Anderson is, like, reading over for him. So they have a really nice and positive relationship. Um, and to Dr. Fran's point, actually, we do know, um, like we mentioned, like, as Charlie's been kind of exhibiting some signs of depression, like sadness mood feeling lonely feeling isolated Um, support from teachers can be a protective factor against depression Um, so they have seen in studies that teachers um, emotionally supporting their students can be associated with decreased uh, depressive symptoms in teenagers so really nice protective factor there and we do see that mr anderson is a positive relationship in charlie's life and can help to kind of mitigate or kind of lessen those negative sad feelings that charlie's experiencing
2: Another thing I really appreciate, especially early on, about Charlie is that he puts he keeps, he keeps putting himself out there. So even though we've got this poor kid who's eating lunch by himself in the cafeteria, he still like is going to the football games, and he even approaches this kid from his class, Patrick, at a football game, um, and tries to just have a conversation with him and get to know him. And um, I just, I appreciate that, that it's like kind of encouraging him to just like still get out there. And like, it's not hopeless, right? Like you can still make the most out of your freshman year.
1: Yeah, that was what was really awesome about Charlie. You know, he, like I mentioned, it's not for lack of wanting to connect with people. He misses that and he talks about wanting it. And so he really does put himself out there. He sees Patrick sitting alone. He kind of just goes up and says, hey. And, you know, I really love this part, too, because Patrick is a senior and he's like, he doesn't even bat an eye. He's very friendly. He recognizes Charlie from like the wood woodworking class that they take together and kind of have this instant bond. Um, and Sam's character comes along and joins. And she also is just very welcoming. You know, both of these seniors just welcoming this freshman, being very friendly, inviting him to hang out afterwards, really trying to get to know him. Um, And that's the kind of like wonderful, lovely connection I hope is still happening in the high schools.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We also get this sense that as soon as Charlie meets Sam, that he develops a crush on her. Which, to be fair, every time I see Emma Watson, I develop a small crush on her as well. Um, But we kind of see that that develops and progresses. Not only do they have this beautiful friendship that develops, but also Underlying, he has the, these feelings for her that develop throughout the movie, too.
1: And I think Patrick and Sam, throughout the movie, they really exhibit like a connection to Charlie. They seem very caring. They try to be very attuned, like with his feelings. And they share a lot of interests. You know, like Sam and Charlie bond over music um, and they have different things in common. So it seems like a very promising start to several friendships for Charlie.
2: Well, and it seems like one underlying reason even though it's somewhat unspoken that they bond and that they kind of understand and support charlie is that they themselves patrick and sam are both dealing with their own mental health concerns and that might not be something that's explicitly talked about um in terms of like having specific diagnoses or you know things like that and i think at the same time that's what they kind of bond over is that like we're the misfits or like you know we're not the kind of typical classic cool kid who's totally you know fitting in and popular, but we're kind of the outsiders that might have these different things or more complicated things going on.
1: Yeah, I think um, Sam's character says to Charlie, like, welcome to the island of Misfit Toys, and their vibe is very much like we're welcoming to all, right? So it's kind of like a very inclusive Friendship group. You
2: know, one of the big scenes, I think, that comes up, again, like I alluded to earlier, Charlie kind of immediately develops an affinity or a crush on Sam. Um, and that seems to kind of develop more and more as he just realized that she's a very, like, kind and, um, you know, caref- caring friend to him. Um, and she continues to show that in different ways. And I think one of the big scenes that comes up is when they're at a party, Charlie has accidentally taken um you know eaten a weed brownie and he really just wants a milkshake and so Sam makes sure <laughs> make sure that he gets a milkshake
1: I thought that was really sweet he's like so fixated like I just really want a milkshake and it's this funny scene where all of these seniors are just like seated around him asking him these questions because they think he's just being hilarious while he's like under the influence um but Sam kind of rescues him takes him away and makes him this milkshake and in this scene we actually get kind of I feel like a big answer that a lot of viewers like while you're watching this movie like you know what has happened to Charlie like why are people treating Charlie differently what's going on and so let's hear him kind of share with Sam
0: Sam you have such pretty brown eyes the kind of pretty that deserves to make a big deal about itself though you know what I mean Okay, Charlie, let me make the milkshake mm, what a great word milkshake It's like when you say your name over and over again in the mirror And after a while it sounds crazy
2: So I'm guessing you've never been high before
0: No, 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 no My best friend Michael, his dad was a big drinker So he hated all that stuff Parties too
1: Well, where is Michael tonight?
0: Oh, he shot himself last May kind of wished he left a note, you know what I mean?
2: I think this scene's really interesting because we, you know, it's hard to tell from the clip because you can't see Sam's face. But as soon as Charlie discloses in this very matter-of-fact way what happened to Michael, her face is just, you know, full of concern and kind of like, what do I say? Um, shock and, you know, kind of how
1: do I support this person who just shared something
2: really difficult with me?
1: And I think, you know, a lot of people seem to know something about what had happened to Charlie. It seems like, you know, at least peers that had come up from the middle school with him potentially, um, teachers, like, have alluded to, like, knowing. But Patrick and Sam don't appear to know. So this is the first time they're really hearing about this potentially very traumatic thing that has happened to Charlie. Um, And I thought in this scene it was also very interesting because we know it's something Charlie has really been struggling with. But when he really comes out and says it, he says it almost very matter-of-factly. Um, you know, and just kind of puts it out there. And it is nice to see that Sam, she kind of tries to think about how they can best support him. She does end up telling Patrick, and then they make a really endearing, kind of heartfelt toast, like, to our new friend. He sees things, and he really understands, like, people. Um, and Charlie responds, like, wow, like, I don't think anyone noticed me, which just kind of shows, like, how lonely um, and... um sad he maybe has really been feeling but then he feels very supported in that moment which is nice
0: raise your glasses to Charlie what did I do you didn't do anything we just want to toast our new friend you see things and you understand you're a wallflower I didn't think anyone noticed me
2: <laughs> well we didn't think there was anyone cool left to meet so go on Everyone, to Charlie, to Charlie, and we kind of you know get a better context for part you know one piece of why Charlie is the way that he is, and why going into high school has been so difficult for him, and why he's been feeling down of like he's lost his best friend, um, like what seemingly maybe was his only friend, um, and in this very difficult way. Um, And so the fact I think that makes this scene with uh, Sam and Patrick toasting to him even more meaningful of like, here are other people in my life that, you know, might be able to fill some of that void that Michael left.
1: Yeah, that see me and notice me. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, a very sad scene definitely gives us a lot more context into what Charlie is going through. You know, having had his best friend die by suicide, um, grappling with that, trying to navigate high school, which is difficult for any adolescent who hasn't had something like that happen. I think another person we're not going to like chat too much about, but another person that comes up as a potential positive person in charlie's life is his older brother so we don't see older brother much um but a lot of people talk about him it seems like he was a big football star at their high school and like very popular um uh, beloved by all and his brother visits for the holidays and we do see charlie have a conversation with his brother and his brother seems very kind of concerned in a very genuine and nice way kind of asking like you know how are you doing are you still picturing things like how are you coping with it all um and charlie mentions to his brother that he's really um uh, he's better able at this point to like shut off the images kind of talking about how he does have these friendships and he's kind of getting out there more and feeling a little bit better about things
0: I'm not picturing things anymore Or no, if i do i can just shut it off
1: yeah and
2: again we get a, a lot of these allusions to like images or seeing things. And that's one, if I had one qualm about this movie and the way some of the mental health things are portrayed, it's that they're very vague about this. Um, and the that's reason good. that we want people to be explicit, like if they're talking to parents or like other support people or mental health practitioners, is that if you say seeing things, That could be hallucinations, that could be flashbacks, that could be suicidal thoughts. And it's really important to know like what is he actually seeing or what are those images and not using these very vague terms because someone might say like, oh, yeah, I'm seeing things and that might mean something different to different people. Um, So that was just kind of like one thing I wanted to point out of like it's just this very vague thing and we don't know a lot about. What is happening with Charlie or some of his history and these like, you know, with the hospitalization and what might be going on for him. And it seems like a little bit of a taboo topic with his family, too.
1: I totally agree. And I think it could also be a representation, though, sometimes of how... um everyday people might approach this. Like, people are not always comfortable talking about mental health, talking about, you know, um, you know, Charlie you know has a close friend who died by suicide. Charlie, you know, spent time in an inpatient hospitalization, and they may not know how to talk about it. Yeah. And so kind of as their own, like, um, personal like protection or the way that they feel comfortable with it is to kind of do it in a vague way like how are you feeling are you seeing things is it still bothering you you know because they themselves are uncomfortable with addressing it explicitly um, but that's one of our main goals and what we always talk about is like ending that stigma like this person has been through it and one kind of thing that I always like to use or something that can make it Uh, make it seem a little bit more comfortable and also be more supportive for the individual is just using the words that they use or talk about it in the way that they talk about it. Because if they're comfortable saying it in a certain way and if they're comfortable talking about that, like kind of meeting them where they're at and going with that as opposed to kind of backing off or being really vague about it.
2: Well, and I think again, like if he's able to communicate that more explicitly to either friends or his parents, then they're able to get him whatever help he needs depending on what he's dealing with.
1: Exactly. And so at this point, you know, like in the movie, it does seem like, you know, Charlie mentioned he is better able to shut things off. He had been having a better time. We see him, like... Engaging in all different things with his friends, like from um, doing like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, just hanging out at parties, doing gift exchanges, you know, doing a lot of fun things that friends do. Um, And like we did talk about social support. So I want to mention that friend support, we do know in teenagers, may reduce depressive symptoms. Um, And What we know about teenagers who may have PTSD or have been through something traumatic, having social support is not going to, like, get rid of or um, make that go away, but it can help to make the symptoms that people are experiencing less severe. And so it seems like for Charlie, like, having this close-knit group of friends, because at this point it's not only Patrick and Sam. He's also hanging out kind of with their, like, bigger group of friends. He feels supported. It does seem to have a very positive impact on his mental health and the way he's um, feeling.
2: Until Mm -hmm. there is a big rift between him and all of his friends. So we see all those positive, protective influences of the social support system kind of seemed to come crashing down around him. He has an incident where he's dating Mary Elizabeth, even though he doesn't really have feelings for her, but feels kind of pressured into it, but really still likes Sam, and ends up kissing Sam at a party when asked to kiss the prettiest girl in the room. Which, like, I feel like that's just like a facepalm moment of like, ah, like, (laughs) just, just, you could have done anything else. Like, just don't do that. But, you know... He's a teenager. He is impulsive. He just kisses Sam, and then it causes basically a huge falling
1: out between him and all of his friends. I know. In this whole part of the movie, like, you're just waiting for something to go horribly wrong. Like, he does not like Mary Elizabeth. He's, like, trying to kind of get away with her, from her, but he feels bad. Um, and it's, like, his real first relationship. And he kind of feels like, well, Sam's with... This college boy at this point, right, she has a boyfriend. um, So he just goes along with it and obviously makes a really poor decision. Um, And once this rift starts, you know, they kind of all rally around Mary Elizabeth. And it's kind of this situation like, you know, we just need some space, Charlie. We just need some time. Everyone's really upset by his actions. um, And he starts to feel very isolated. um, And he starts to have even, like, increasingly more flashbacks related to, like, his uh, relationship with his aunt
2: yeah and he you know makes comments about like it's getting worse he can't turn it off so what we heard earlier of him like getting better at being able to shut off whatever these images are he's having a harder time doing it um and he does end up you know somewhat coming to terms with his friends in again like not a great way so the the way he kind of gets back in with his friends is that when the fight that the fight that um brat Brad and Patrick end up having Charlie ends up what he says, like blacking out and can't really remembering, but he just like try He just takes over and, you know, fights everyone in order to protect Patrick, which, yes, I appreciate that. Like he's obviously standing up for his friend. And it's like kind of unfortunate that it takes this really horrible event for his friends to say like, oh, yeah, we do like you and want to be your friend again
1: yeah I know there's like this whole scene where he walks up to Sam and he's like you know what did I do and she's like you protected Patrick and she like embraces him and brings him back into the fold Um, which you know the problem was never that he didn't care about that friend group and they didn't care about him probably more related to poor communication and poor conflict resolution right come on teenagers Um, (laughs) but (laughs) you know he does end up kind of getting back with them and he kind of sees a little bit of a positive bounce like he's happy to be back with them however you know Senior year is like quickly wrapping up. Graduation is approaching. So he's still feeling that anxiety about like kind of losing these people potentially in a different way.
2: Yeah. And so we've seen these symptoms potentially getting worse. He's having more difficulty controlling whatever images he's having. And then his friends get ready to graduate, and there's this, you know, really important scene with Sam. So Sam finally is potentially realizing that maybe she also has feelings for Charlie, and she's asking him, like, why didn't you initiate anything anytime before? And, you know, they kind of go back and forth, and you're like, oh my gosh, Sam finally realizes they're going to be together. It's going to be this cute relationship. (laughs) I'm also practically, like, a sophomore dating a freshman in college is a little odd, but – Whatever. They love each other. That's fine. (laughs) But anyway, so they start to potentially get intimate and Charlie starts having a flashback to his Aunt Helen. And at first it's a little bit confusing. It's a little bit about like, why is he remembering Aunt Helen? And then it really kind of spirals after that, after his friends leave to college. um, You know, we learn more about what happens.
1: Yes, and throughout the movie, you know, as we've mentioned, he does have these, like, little kind of, like, flashes of Aunt Helen. Mostly they're of, like, him and Aunt Helen, like, smiling, laughing. There was one prior flashback where Aunt Helen does something, like, they're out in the snow, and she says, like, oh, it's just our little secret. Um, All of it has seemed, like, very friendly up until this point. But when he's with Sam, really in the flashback that he has, um, Aunt Helen uh, kind of says... Like, she whispers to him, like, be quiet, don't wake your sister. Seems much more ominous of a flashback. Um, And then it kind of, like, cuts away. Like, we see the next day, Charlie is saying goodbye to his college friends. You know, kind of seemingly, like, he's upset, but he's okay with it. Um, But as soon as they drive off, he really starts to struggle with, like, being able to kind of cope with the fact that they're going away. Um, We see him become very distressed. And he calls uh, his sister so let's listen to, like, kind of him express to his sister, like, how he's feeling. Hello?
0: Hey, Candace. Charlie? Sam and Patrick left, and, uh, I just can't stop thinking about myself. What? Candace. I killed Aunt Helen, didn't I? She died getting my birthday present, so I guess I killed her, right? I'm trying to stop thinking that, but I can't. She keeps driving away and dying. Call the police and send them to my house. Stop her. I'm crazy. Candace. No,
1: Charlie, listen to me. Mom and Dad are going to be home with Chris any second. She's thinking. Then...
0: What if I wanted her to die,
1: Candace? What? Charlie? Charlie! So in this scene, the parts that you couldn't see... um, Charlie initially is having a lot of flashbacks. He's seeing a lot of some of the more painful things that have happened to him. He's seeing the scene where Aunt Helen is asking him not to wake his sister. He's seeing his sister getting slapped by her boyfriend. He's seeing the fight that he couldn't really remember with Patrick initially. So it's all really kind of coming flooding. Um, And we see that he's, like, becoming increasingly upset um, and having a difficult time kind of just processing all of these events, all of these stressors.
2: Yeah, and I also want to point out, I think, like, such a good – Move on his part and then his sister's part, like he calls his sister. So he calls someone yes. that like he trusts that like he can talk to about this. And then his sister like immediately has her friends go get help. Like she knows that he's in trouble. So I just wanted to kind of point out like good for both Charlie and his sister for like very quickly kind of reaching out for support and getting the help that they need. Um, so I think that's like a positive portrayal.
1: I thought the same thing. Like, I thought his sister handled it very well. Like, as well as one can expect in such a difficult situation, she stays on the line with her brother. She's trying to be supportive. She's trying to listen. But she also right away, you know, knows, like, okay, this is not typical for Charlie. Like, he needs help, and she gets him that help. And it's very nice knowing that he did feel comfortable enough to reach out to his sister and kind of share when he's having this troubled time. So I agree. That's a nice portrayal of strengths for both of them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a theme we're hearing of him talking to his sister about is a lot of guilt. So guilt mm-hmm. over, um, and I'm wondering also if that's, that's where some of those flashbacks, like a common theme is that he feels guilty about like not protecting his sister or you know, getting in this yeah. physical altercation at school. And he blames himself for Aunt Helen's death um, because she went to get his Christmas present and then she died in a car accident. And then he makes this comment that we haven't heard him mention before of like, maybe I wanted her to die. And he feels a lot mm-hmm. of guilt and shame around that thought
1: exactly and so you know thanks to sisters quick thinking charlie you know next thing we see he is in the hospital and this is really the first kind of exposure we see to like mental health treatment in the movie um but he does have a chat with the psychiatrist that is there um so let's like give a quick listen to that just kind of their introduction and what um he expresses to her charlie i'm
0: dr burton where am i mayview hospital You, uh, you, uh, have to uh, let me go. My dad can't afford it. Oh, don't worry about that. Uh, no, uh, I, I saw them when I was, when I was little, and I, I don't want to be a Mayview view kid. Just tell me how to stop it. Stop what? Seeing it. Uh, all, uh, their lives, all the time, just, how, how do you stop seeing it? what charlie there is so much pain and I, i i don't know how to not notice it what's hurting you no not not me it's them it's it's everyone it never stops do you understand
2: so, I wish the scene was longer. I wish that we had more of that interaction between Charlie and the mental health professional. I remember as we were watch as I was watching this over, I was like, "How are there only ten minutes left of this movie?" And he's like just entering the hospital like I wanted more of this, of course, as a psychologist and wanting to like see more of how that's portrayed um and at the same time, I think like for what it's worth in this like very short scene, we see this psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever she is, really trying to figure out like. What's going on? What happened? What led up to you coming to the hospital? And tell me a little bit more about Aunt Helen. Like, she's picking up that this is potentially something he's never really talked about, hasn't really come to terms with, of, like, what happened with Aunt Helen.
1: What
0: about your Aunt Helen? What about her? Do you see her? Yes. Uh She had a terrible life. God, what am I supposed to see? She, she, you, you know, said some things about her in your sleep I I, I I don't I don't care if you want to get better you have to she she was insane she Charlie you gonna let me help you here Do you remember anything before you blacked out? Uh, I, I remember leaving Sam's house. I was walking
1: home. And for the first time, I feel like the way um he's describing it, Helen has really shifted. It's like she was my favorite person, like all of these really positive attributes to At Helen. But now we're hearing, you know, that she was insane, right? Like he calls her insane, which I found to be very interesting. Um, that she had a terrible life. So also kind of um, almost, like, making excuses for Aunt Helen in a way, but building up. And I agree. We're finally starting to see the mental health professional, like, ask questions. I thought, overall, it was, like, okay. But one of the things that really irked me is when he he really is starting to open up, but he's kind of, like, taking po- natural pauses, which I think are indicative of it, like, is this something difficult? But then she does, like, says, like, are you gonna let me help you here? And it's, like, lady, he is talking. Like, let him talk. So I did not like that interruption. Um, but, you know, I think, obviously, it's a good start, and it's really just, like, a very like you mentioned, Dr. Fram, like such a brief window into like probably what then happens while he's at the hospital. Um, I also wanted to quickly just say too, I feel like in the very beginning uh, of his conversation, it made me feel sad because his first reactions is like, I'm afraid that my family like can't afford treatment. Like I can't be here. My parents can't afford this. And I don't want to be a Mayview kid. I don't want to be here and be like labeled. Um, And I think that those aspects are just so upsetting. Like in a lot of what we try to counter are those, like, you know, stigmas, that if he needs that treatment to be supported to be safe, um, that that shouldn't be something to be embarrassed of or ashamed of. And then additionally, like, it is heartbreaking when I work with families and they do need higher levels of care, like we've talked about in the past, that that is one of their major that's a major consideration and something that they're afraid of. Like, are we going to be able to afford this? Like, we can't do this. Like I've had kids say things like that to me too. Like, you know, I can't go there because I don't want to put that burden on my parents or make my parents pay for that. Um, which is like another unfortunate aspect of the like mental health care system at times.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important point too, because I think it also feeds into like a term we sometimes use, especially when talking about suicide ideation with, um, young adults or adolescents is like perceived burdensomeness. So how much, is he feeling like he's burdening his parents by adding extra costs to their medical bills or by telling them these difficult things we hear him earlier talk about how he doesn't want to upset his parents so he doesn't always disclose these things to them and so that becoming a huge important piece of like you know how much does he feel like he's a burden on others and again like this theme of like feeling a lot of guilt um taking on other people's pain he kind of goes into like you know, like I'm in pain, but like, that's not what matters. Like, how do you make it stop thinking about everyone else's pain? That's like a big core theme for him is like, just like feeling other people's pain and whether that's empathy or, you know, feeling responsible for other people's pain, it's like kind of unclear. Maybe it's kind of all of that wrapped together.
1: Yeah. And definitely just something he's struggling with. You know, he really cares for people and it's just like such a challenge for him. Um, we don't learn much more, don't get to see much more of, like, Charlie, like, while he's here at the hospital. Um, but he does kind of say, like, he ends up being in the hospital for a while. He describes there as being, like, some bad days and some unexpected beautiful days, which is really nice. Um, but he does say that the worst day was when um, the doctor tells his parents about what happened with Aunt Helen and what Aunt Helen did to him. Um, And then on the bright side, you know, which I think is optimistic that, like, while he's kind of expressing, like, what happened at the hospital, he had best days as well. And that's when he gets to see visitors. Um, So at the end of the movie, kind of Charlie, I think, gives a very nice speech, I guess, about, like, just, like, his experiences and, you know, where he thinks he's going from here. So let's kind of listen to Charlie kind of wrap up the movie.
0: I don't know if I will have the time to write any more letters because I might be too busy trying to participate So if this does end up being the last letter, I just want you to know that I was in a bad place before I started high school, and you helped me. Even if you didn't know what I was talking about, or know someone who's gone through it, you made me not feel alone. Because I know there are people who say all these things don't happen. And there are people who forget what it's like to be 16 when they turn 17. I know these will all be stories someday, and our pictures will become old photographs. We'll all become somebody's mom or dad. But right now, these moments are not stories. This is happening. I am here, and I am looking at her. And she is so beautiful. I can see it. This one moment when you know you're not a sad story you are alive and you stand up and see the lights on the buildings and everything that makes you wonder and you're listening to that song on that drive with the people you love most in this world and in this moment i swear we are infinite
2: I love that scene. I think it, you know, ends the movie on such a like hopeful note. And not only just showing that Charlie's hopeful, and we have a hopeful picture for Patrick and Sam, but also just that like he seems like he's learned something about himself that he's not just like he says, a sad story, but that there are these beautiful moments kind of wrapped into what can be a difficult life or a difficult experience or a difficult period in um, someone's life. And uh, I just think it's like a really beautiful scene. There's a reason this is like a very highly quoted part of this movie or this book.
1: Very true. And it's like a very iconic scene. Um, Like his kind of voiceover is when they're in the tunnel, he kind of stands up in the truck, right? Like arms out, kind of that feeling of freedom he's like describing obviously we do not advise or recommend that um but it is an iconic scene from the movie also emma watson or sam does it earlier in the movie as well um but i agree this is you know a very hopeful ending i think it also shows growth right charlie he's kind of showing that he's trying to focus more on the moment not focusing maybe on like negative things um or unpleasant things have happened in the past or could possibly happen in the future um and that he's also like seems to feel pretty to kind of um, face certain barriers or things that might happen without like, you know, having too much difficulty, um, which there are going to be highs and lows. He probably will have additional challenges in the future, but he's looking forward to that in an optimistic way and he does feel empowered. So it is a really nice ending um, to the movie.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we might imagine that if the movie continued or if there was a sequel, we might see more about how (laughs) this actual, like, continued progress and growth and recovery looks for Charlie, right? He's kind of hit this, you know, really important step of, like, acknowledging that, you know, he's been abused by Aunt Helen and that this is, like, a major part of potentially what has Mm -hmm. been going on with him throughout the movie and throughout his life. Um, And so we might imagine that this would continue and we'd learn more about him, like, as he continues potentially in therapy. I will say I did appreciate that after he finishes up with the doctor, they make some comment about like, okay, so I'll see you like at this time next week. And I was like, okay, yes, like this isn't like just a one time thing. You go into the hospital, you, you know, confront that you've been sexually abused and then that's it. Like there would be some follow up or like continued therapy or work on this.
1: And to that end, one thing I was surprised about, though, is we know that Charlie had been admitted to like a psychiatric inpatient stay over the summer. And we know that he is on medication. But it does not seem like his first hospitalization was followed up by any outpatient care or that he's seeing like a psychiatrist regularly for medication management, at least that they show in the movie, obviously, right? But that would be what we would expect, is after coming out of the hospital, he would follow up for outpatient. He would be following with the psychiatrist to talk about and monitor his medications. Um, So it is nice that at least after this incident and after he leaves the hospital this time, there will be outpatient follow-up.
2: And, you know, even though it doesn't become a main theme of the movie until like the last 15 minutes when it's revealed that Charlie has been sexually abused by Aunt Helen, um, we did want to spend just a few minutes talking about child sexual abuse and what treatment might look like for that. And we hope we'll have other opportunities to talk about this in more detail. So we'll just go briefly through some of it today. But because it is such an important part of Charlie's story, we wanted to highlight some pieces of this.
1: Yes, and another character, Sam, also shares that she had been sexually abused, so we want to talk about that briefly now. So sexual abuse is defined as any time someone in a position of power, um, whether that is physical power, emotional power, psychological power, engages another person to do something sexual that is age inappropriate, uncomfortable, or against their will. And this typically includes some sort of touching, but it can also mean being inappropriately encouraged or forced to watch sexual acts uh, such as pornography.
2: Yeah, and I think that
1: spectrum of
2: sexual abuse is important to highlight because, again, we don't see exactly what happens with Charlie or exactly what happens with Sam, um, but it doesn't really matter. There is some level of unwanted or age-inappropriate sexual contact between Charlie and Aunt Helen that we learn about. Um, And just some interesting statistics, you know, up to one in four girls and one in six boys will experience some, of, some form of sexual abuse before the age of eighteen. Like that's a huge number. And I think watching this film, we have like a certain number of characters, and then we've got Sam um, disclosing that she was sexually abused. We've got Charlie disclosing it. We also okay. learned that Aunt Helen was potentially herself a victim of sexual abuse. Yeah. And so, like maybe that's not actually a super high number, considering the number of people portrayed in the movie. Based on these statistics, right? That it is unfortunately a common, a, can be a common. An occurrence.
1: And also, unfortunately, more than half of all children who are sexually abused are abused by a parent or other relative. So, as we see in Charlie's case, um, you know, the perpetrator in, in that instance is his aunt. And children who have been abused by a family member are also more likely to blame themselves for the abuse than those who are abused by someone outside of the family unit. And this is, again, something we definitely see with Charlie. He seems to have a great amount of guilt um, associated with that. There seems to be some blame um, related to the events as well. And, you know, it's really like he has a lot of mixed feelings about Aunt Helen. On the one hand, she was one of the most
2: important people in his life. She was the only person he felt like really listened to her. And she was someone who really did these horrible, horrible things to him that a poor kid of his age had like didn't understand or couldn't really wrap his head around why someone who was supposed to be in this caregiving role was hurting him.
1: And also probably becoming more and more complicated just to Charlie, because as you mentioned, Dr. Fran, like as he is – becoming older he was so young at the time of these events occurring and even at the time of his aunt's death so there have been a lot of like very confusing feelings and as he's becoming older and and we see it with charlie like as he's starting to express his own um like sexual or intimate relationships like kissing sam or having relations and feelings for sam um it seems very confusing kind of brings on these flashbacks and he might be just like you know in a more age-appropriate manner starting to better understand Mm -hmm. um you know more sexual acts and things of that nature probably then Feeling even more confused about what happened to him as a child.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we also see that kids, um, particularly when they've been abused by family members, can take longer and longer to actually disclose or report that. And that could be for a host of different reasons. One, like we're just talking about, like confusion or, you know, difficulty understanding what happened, especially if it's, you know, at a really young age. Also, having, again, that conflict of like, this is someone I'm supposed to trust. She told me to keep it a secret. Mm -hmm. I can't break that secret, you know, so that there might be a host of reasons why some events like these, un, you know, similar to what we see with Charlie don't actually come to light or don't surface and aren't reported until much later.
1: Other reasons for people not disclosing sexual assault include like not wanting their family or other people to know. I feel like that could be even heightened within as a family member, right? Kind of um, discussing that this happened and that you were abused by a family member and how other family members might take it or just like kind of then having to divulge it to other people within the family. Um, sometimes people also worry about not being able to prove that incidents occurred um, or fear that like people won't really take their uh, reports seriously. <laughs> and so what would be the type of therapy, you know, with, you know, now that we're seeing Charlie hopefully going to continue with therapy, um, what would be the type of therapy that would help him with that?
2: You know, one of the gold standards that um, we're almost always going to go to first for treating children with a history like Charlie's is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. We've talked about CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy a lot on the podcast. It is a very common, well-supported treatment, and essentially this is a treatment TFCBT, um, one of the gold standards for treating kids with all types of trauma, not just childhood sexual abuse, um, anywhere between ages three and eighteen, um, and it doesn't just have to be individuals' with PTSD. Um, you know, with Charlie. Charlie, maybe he does or maybe he doesn't meet full criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder, but he has other—he has some kind of trauma-related symptoms or stressors that are going on for him. So TFCBT can be a really helpful um, intervention for individuals like Charlie. And it has really mean, three main components. So there's skills and stabilization. So we don't necessarily just jump right into talking about the trauma with kids like Charlie, but really working on skills. So having him work on relaxation, working on emotion regulation, we definitely see that that's difficult for him, especially like after Sam and Patrick leave, he's really struggling with that, Um, working on connecting, like understanding his different thoughts that are coming up. Like I'd be really interested in exploring some of these these guilt thoughts that are coming up for him and well thoughts and then the feeling might be guilt that we're kind of connecting that to. And um, another piece of this is just educating him. And another big part of TFCBT is parental involvement. So if the parent's not the offender, not the perpetrator of the abuse, we would absolutely want to include them and the treatment to kind of support and kind of also understand about trauma and the impact it can have on on kids.
1: Very true. And I think for Charlie, he would greatly benefit from that. We do see like, you know, he it seems like he has some skills that he used to cope like we see him writing those letters right so that's like some way of him kind of journaling getting his thoughts and feelings down getting them out there Um, and we see that he really likes music kind of as a relaxation tool however when things start to kind of build up or when he encounters multiple stressors or maybe kind of encounters more of like a trigger for that trauma response he has a lot of difficulty coping so those skills would be very beneficial and I think an interesting part about what happened to Charlie would be even the family's um, kind of thoughts and feelings related to the trauma because they were also unaware um, and how they're going to, you know, process that and then be able to support Charlie through it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so once we really feel like Charlie and his family have gotten those, like, basic understanding and, like, education and coping skills, the second phase would be moving into more of that trauma processing. So what we would do um, is call, like, uh, would – what we would move forward into would be like a trauma narrative. So actually having uh, Charlie tell his story about what happened, whether it's like, really clear and linear or whether it's just join it, but whatever he needs to do in order to tell his story in the way that's most helpful for him. Another important piece is actually having the parents join those sessions. Again, if they're non-offending, if they're like not the perpetrators of the abuse, but having his parents come in, which I imagine would be some really difficult, powerful sessions. And maybe even his parents have their own sessions to process that outside of Charlie's sessions, but of them, him really sharing, like this is what happened to me, this is how I feel about it, and his parents listening and understanding and um, kind of validating his experience.
1: I think that would be very helpful. And I wonder if it would be like an easy shift for Charlie, like almost like these letters he's been telling, they're a little more like broad kind of on the surface. So he can tell his trauma narrative or tell his story in a way where it's like less and less um, overpowering.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we would wrap up TFCBT focusing on like how to enhance safety, how to prevent, you know, anything from happening in the future and also just on a positive developmental trajectory. Um, so that would be kind of how we would wrap it up. And, you know, even though we don't see therapy portrayed necessarily in Perks of Being a Wallflower, I did notice, you know, little sprinklings of things that we might <laughs> use in therapy or kind of draw on um, whether he's getting these from any kind of psychological context i don't know or if he's just getting them from (laughs) his own reflections but i did want to kind of just highlight a few of those dr sam already mentioned the journaling i think like that's not exactly what he's doing but in a way
1: yeah in a way i think he's like you know those letters. He's, like, talking to someone, but I think it really is his chance to kind of put his thoughts and feelings, kind of, like, identify them, put them down. Um, And he kind of works through some stuff. Like, he'll even mention, you know, like, at the end, he says he may not even write any more letters because now he's going to try to participate more and, like, be there with his friends, be there more in the moment. Um, I think this is almost a reference, like, we've talked to in the past about mindfulness, like, being more present in the moment. So we see that a bit as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I That was something that really stuck out to me of, like, if he can really fully participate with his friends, and like really enjoy like that beautiful moment at the end where he's you know with sam and with patrick and they're you know seeing the lights in the tunnel of like in that moment he is safe and he is happy and he is loved and supported and the more he can kind of stay in touch with those like individual moments um, and not focusing on like anxiety about the future or you know anxiety about the past that that is something that can like help him moving forward
1: He also talks a lot about, like, acceptance. Like, you know, we accept the love that we think we deserve. He starts, like, you know, in that last, like, monologue we hear, too, just about accepting himself, like, accepting that he is alive, accepting, like, the time that he's in. So some components of um, acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, which we've talked about before, because I think that ties in both, like, the acceptance and, like, the mindfulness, like, being in the moment. Um, So we do see some components there. Mm
2: -hmm. And actually, it's uh, it's Mr. Anderson, it's Paul Rudd, who originally says, we accept the love we think we deserve. And I just love that line because I think I see that we see this a lot for Patrick, Sam, and Charlie of, you know, like, the more that they develop their own, like, self-love and self-acceptance, the more they can Mm -hmm. accept that from other people. And that that's, like, a really important point. And we do see that come up a lot in individuals who have been abused, is that low self-worth or, like, not thinking that they're deserving of things. And so I think that's especially powerful and important for everyone um, that we see portrayed in the movie.
1: Agreed. And I think it's something that all of the characters are really, like, still working towards and hopefully will continue to make make positive progress towards as they, you know, get older. Um, speaking of love or relationships or just like general feelings, how did you feel about Perks of Being a Wallflower, Dr. Brandt? <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I snuck it in.
2: <laughs> so... I am going to try really hard not to use the two words that I feel I use to describe half the movies we discuss on this podcast, endearing or heartwarming. (laughs) I would really be compelled to use either of those words, but I'm going to try not to. I love this movie. I think it's a really lovely representation of, you know, the importance of talking about teenage mental health and, um, you know, the importance of social support like Dr. Sam mentioned. So I just really appreciate that. You know, I really think of this movie as a movie about, mental health and adolescence. And we don't have a lot of movies that do that well. So I think it's a really good movie and it has a great soundtrack as well.
1: I, you know, I'll agree, Dr. Fran, I really like this movie. I feel like it is well acted. Like, you know, the young people in the film do a really nice job. I do think that this movie is about adolescent mental health. It covers a lot of really important themes that are not always comfortable to talk about, right? Or are difficult for people to talk about. But I think in doing that kind of helps to destigmatize these topics like we often talk about so that people can talk about them. They might be difficult or uncomfortable, but they are important. And so I think, you know... um, Charlie having his uh Charlie having a friend who died by suicide um the history of sexual abuse these are all things that are really really challenging to talk about but these people like but this is their experiences and it's important to have people that they can talk to and receive the proper support. So I like that it touched on these topics. I know that this book in particular, you know, has been on list of like banned books from schools and at different time periods because of the constructs it talks about. You know, it has sex, it has drug use, it has suicide, it has topics that some parents don't want their teenagers really exposed to. Which begs the question, like, well, these teenagers may be being exposed to these things, and what's really important is the conversations that we have around them, um, as opposed to avoiding them. So I do really appreciate the the movie and the novel's approach on taking on these big topics.
2: And I think doing so in a sensitive way, for the most part. Yes. Wish there was more therapy, but...
1: Yeah, wish there was more therapy, more focus on like, you know, on getting help and getting support. There were some positives, right? Like when they reach out to their siblings or their friends, um, but sometimes more support is needed and that's okay. And what is that support? Those are important aspects too.
2: So, and now it's time for our DSM-5, Diagnosing Shows and Movies. So, Dr. Sam, I know this is tricky because we didn't get a lot of therapy, but when we think about kind of the overall context of how mental health is portrayed in the movie, What would you rate Perks of Being a Wallflower?
1: I think, okay, I actually think that I will go with a four, which is kind of high for me. But what I will say is I actually really thought that the portrayal of just the 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 struggle that adolescents might go through um in particular with like mental health concerns so having like the history of trauma um having depressive symptoms i thought that that was well done like when i was watching the movie i was like i have talked to kids who have said things like this who have felt this who have experienced this like i could see real kids in that movie um so for that reason i'm going to go with a 4 um i, I also think it kind of tackled topics of like stigmatization or you know wanting to keep things like Um, a secret or keep things private or not wanting to share because of how we might think people will talk about us or think about us. So it brought that up but it didn't really address that. So like I'm kind of like dinging it a bit for that. I'm also dinging it just for the fact that there wasn't really like much um, of therapy or treatment for a lot of these like very serious issues that um, were covered in the movie. Um, But I do think just the portrayal of adolescents and like the potential things they might experience was pretty good. What about you Dr. Fran?
2: Yeah I was actually thinking the same. I was leaning towards a for it's hard because in the absence of a lot of portrayal of psychological treatment it's hard to really ding it for too much in that area but i would agree the portrayal of adolescence and you know common things that can come up for teenagers and as they navigate peer relationships and even just like more difficult like traumatic or grief experience loss experiences um i agree i thought it was uh pretty well done
1: yeah i think so too all right, well, you know, we will be very curious to hear what our listeners have to think about the movie and just the portrayal of the mental health topics we talked about in adolescence. But we do have a special announcement regarding new merch. <laughs>
2: We are really excited to be launching some new merchandise, and we'll be releasing some more information on that by the end of this month, Um, so stay tuned if you don't already follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. um, You can check it out there, and you will learn a little bit more about some new merchandise coming out and how you can get some for free.
1: Yes, and so we will be launching it on um, our podcast sessions as well, but you might have a little bit of a sneak peek if you also follow us on social media, like Dr. Fran said. Well... All right. Session is over for Perks of Being a Wallflower. Don't forget to check out our website for additional resources and a glossary of new terms. And please let us know your thoughts on the movie. We always love to hear what questions you might have about psychology and what other movies or TV shows you want us to put on our couch and break down next.
2: And we are excited to be bringing Sharp Objects to our couch next session. So you have two weeks to binge watch this very bingeable show on HBO. Uh, so that you can catch up with us next session on Sharp Objects.
1: Yeah, and another um, novel adaptation. So it'll be definitely an interesting discussion. A lot of mental health topics to discuss there and things that kind of cover both Dr. Fran's and mine's interests and experiences. So looking forward to seeing you there. As
2: always, go ahead and find and follow us on all the social media platforms that we mentioned and subscribe, rate, and review. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don.